Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Welcome into episode 123 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm doing really good, Jack. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We uh, took a little bit of a, a slight break, I guess you could say, after we, we didn't get a show in after the blue, uh, after I guess Big Blue Madness it was, uh, because I really didn't have a whole lot of takes for Big Blue Madness, Sean. It was, uh, you didn't go because you were watching, you were down in Athens watching uh, Kentucky take on Georgia in football. And to be totally honest, I'm kind of burned out with with Big Blue Madness a little bit, I think that there were some okay takeaways. I thought Cal's speech was was solid, but uh, I think that it might be time to kind of hit reset on some things and, and kind of add some some freshness to the event, Sean. I, I, I didn't really have a, a uh, you know, bunch of warm sunshine and rainbow. Uh, oh, my goodness, I'm just so excited. So, excited for Kentucky basketball to be back and, you know, all, all those thoughts. It was like, yeah, it's cool. Um, but really kind of was looking forward to this blue-white game, Sean. I thought that uh, we got we got the opening done and checked that box, but this was really the event that I was uh, circling on my calendar and looking forward to because I know that even though there are some, some times in the past that uh, there are some outliers, some players that they kind of set off expectations because they outperform their what their normal production is during the season they you know go crazy during the blue white game and everybody kind of gets crazy hyped about them and then they end up falling short of those expectations during the season we've had one of those almost every single year since the since Cal got here so going into the event understanding that let's not get too ahead of ourselves and think that every player on the roster is going to be just this dynamic freak that's going to you know put up 40 points a game once you kind of adjusted your expectations, you went in uh, to this event, you, you know, feeling pretty good about it, but but knowing you don't know what's going to happen from there. Sean, I came away still, even knowing the circumstances, absolutely overwhelmingly impressed with this group. And I, I think my expectations as a whole have grown after seeing them in the pro day setting, seeing them in the open practice, and especially this blue-white game. I think, Sean, everything we've hyped this team up to be uh, is going to come to fruition. Yeah, um, I still want to see them when they play someone else here this week and then moving forward. But uh, 
they, they certainly impressed me. I mean, they, they definitely impressed me. I think that they have a lot of guys that are capable of getting minutes and playing. I think that they showed their depth. Uh, the thing that you want to see now is was that success just because they're good or was it because Kentucky's not good? So uh, hopefully it's the uh, that they're good, and I think that they are. I think that you're going to see this group have uh, a number of different guys make an impact, and you're, I think you're going to go across the season with guys that are going to be different leading scorers. Uh, I think Oscar Steve was going to leave in rebounding. I think we can tell that from the blue-white game. But a lot of guys stood out to me, some guys that we – Kind of heard some good things about, but we wanted to see it like a Bryce Hopkins, and he flashed his potential. Damian Collins shooting the ball, stretching the floor at his position. Uh, the young guys look good. Ty Ty Washington, obviously, Jack, we, we know all about him. We, we talked all about him this offseason, and uh, he could certainly lead this team in scoring. He's that dynamic. But I think it was very encouraging that you could go across the board and name six, seven, eight guys who had a really good impact on that game. And it wasn't just your blue-white game run up and down the floor where John Hood goes for 30 points like he did back in the day. They were playing some defense Friday night. Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. And that, that's kind of what led me to my optimism is that this wasn't a, a well, full-court layup line. And they had to do it this way because there's so many guys that it's forced them to have to be competitive in these situations because Cal's trying to figure out who he has and what he has where in years past, you couldn't go as hard in this game because you had that six, seven-man rotation. If you had an injury, ew, you know, it's not, it's not good. But they had two dudes out that didn't participate, and they still went full speed. But that, is, that just speaks volumes to the level of competition and competitiveness that they've had in these workouts and in these preseason practices. Cal is trying to figure out this thing. He mentioned three guys that he thinks will likely start. I know he said that without actually saying it with Wheeler and Ty Ty and Oscar. So he's still trying to figure out what he's got. And I think that's why you saw such a competitive game. Let's just kind of run down some numbers real quick. Oscar goes for 25 points, 21 rebounds, 14 of them being offensive rebounds, which I think that's going to be a point that we come back to uh, here in a little bit when we talk about the spacing of this team and, and uh, just kind of its, its shooting ability. Ty Ty Washington finishes with 24 points, game high 10 assists. He went three for five from beyond the three-point arc and a couple of them were from NBA range I mean we talked to him after the game he said that uh, he he believes his range is a step in front of Steph Curry range which if any of you have seen Steph play any you know game any game at the NBA level you know that he his his uh, range is basically uh, the logo and the you know whatever NBA venue he's at that's kind of what what he does so for Ty Ty to say he's a step in from that is obviously telling of of what of, of how confident he is in his ability Saver Wheeler uh double double 11 points 10 assists I believe they they might have upped that to 11 assists now after the fact uh, I think that was the initial post-game notes that came out but I believe he might have had uh, 11 and 11 or 10 and 11 something like that regardless double double with assists we saw those the, the playmaking ability that everybody hyped him up to be Lance Ware uh, he had 20 and 10 on his own Damian Collins 22 points three of four from three Bryce Hopkins 18 points nine rebounds Keon Brooks very strong second half total 20 points Dante Allen has 16 points on 7 of 13 shooting. Kellen Grady uh, has 16 points on 7 of 14 shooting. So, Sean, uh, we talked about that that those three main starters. You have Xavier Wheeler, who you've, you've been the leader of the Xavier Wheeler hype train from the start, and I want to give you your props because you 
from the start said that you were up, had utmost confident in his ability, confidence in his abilities. And I had my doubts. I mean, the dude was a, I believe shot 22% from three and averaged 4.4 turnovers per game last year at Georgia. I just didn't think that that formula was one that's going to be a success at, at Kentucky. And I think it's, he's very clearly proving to us early that that's going to work. Uh, but we know him. We know Ty Ty is going to be that other guy in the backcourt. And we know that Oscar is going to anchor the, the middle. Sean, who do you think is going to take over at that small forward position? And then obviously at the power, power forward position, it feels like that's going to be a battle between Keon Brooks and Bryce Hopkins uh, for that starting four position. Well, who do you think kind of rounds out that, uh, rounds out that lineup? And uh, if, if you were Coach Cal, how would you go about uh, doing this? I really like Kellen Grady. At the three, I just think that when you can throw a guy in who's been, what, a 2,000-point scorer in his college career, I think that you, you've got to go there. I think that he's going to add an element, uh, that three-point shooting, that that scoring at all three levels that he possesses. Uh, then just a college experience across the board. Anytime you can plug a guy in who started four years somewhere else, I think that's going to be a big thing. You obviously have options, too. You want to go small. you got Davion Mintz. But I'm going to go Grady as my pick. And when it comes to the four, though, I'm not really sure where they're going to go. I could see him going Keon Brooks because we've that's been the guy that we've been picking for the breakout season. He's been the breakout guy ever since that freshman season ended. Last season he had the injury or the and everything leading up to the season that kind of hindered him and slowed his progress. Uh, but I, I think Grady's going to get the nod at that three spot. And really, Jack, I mean, there's so many different combinations that Cal could go with that whoever this five is – he even said it the other night that he could see nine guys starting games at some point this year. All He said nine of the ten that played the other night would likely start games. And that could be injury status. It could be illness. It could be anything. We're just mixing things up depending on the matchup. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see a combination of different lineups throughout the season. But I think that those three that he said are just going to be core, locked-in guys that start the entire distance of the season from beginning to end. I just don't see those positions changing unless an injury happens or someone just completely surprises me and goes on a, a cold streak and stops playing well. Uh, but th they have options. You're, Jacob, Where does Jacob Toppin fit into all this? He, we know he's not been doing the contact stuff. He wasn't out there playing. Where does C.J. Frederick fit into this if he gets healthy? Uh, John Calipari has so many things to figure out. It's only two spots. But there feels like it's five or six spots when it comes to depth, rotation, how many guys play. Cal mentioned the other night if 12 deserve to play, he'll play 12. Jack, he's not playing 12. I don't even think he's playing nine. I think this thing's going to slow down and, and nestle into about eight guys when it's all said and done. Yeah, and, and I think that Cal – he said all the right things, and I think he kind of had that swaggy Cal – a new term that he says that he learned this week at Media Day, which I, I – there's no way he hasn't heard the term swaggy Cal in his time at, at Lexington. Cal, when Cal plays dumb, he's heard it. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, he just likes to play on like he doesn't look at his phone. No, Cal, <laughs> Cal knows what it is. But like, he, the dude walks yeah. down a hallway in a video, like an edited video, winking. He yeah. knows what swaggy Cal is. Right. And so he put on that cap for that night and after the game, the blue white game, he said, uh, I'll figure it out. You know, that's, that's the least of my concerns. Look at some of the teams that I've had in the past. There's no way that, that there's ever uh, going to be concerned with me and, and playing time and figuring out how to, you know, the, this isn't communism, blah, blah, blah. He went through all of his main calisms before getting to the end 
uh, end statement of what you said that, you know, he said, if, if they're nine that deserve to play, I'll play nine. If there's 10, I'll play 10, 11, I'll, I'll, I'll play 11, 12, I'll play 12. Uh, I just, I, I do think that, that that question is valid. I do wonder where uh, some very key crucial players on this roster are going to have some minutes. And I, I think that's a conversation that we need to start having, especially I think this weekend's game against Kentucky Wesleyan on Friday, I think that is going to be telling of the kind of trajectory of this team and, and where Cal's mind is at the time at this moment, because uh, I, I do wonder where, where are guys, okay, we know that Ty Ty's going to play. We know Savier is going to play Kellen, Keon, uh, Oscar. There's your five, you know, main five core group. You know, Bryce Hopkins is going to play, you know, Davion Mintz is going to play. Uh, you know, Damian Collins is going to play. That's eight. After that, I mean, is it fair to say that you that you question where some of those other players – I think C.J. Frederick, I think he's a guy that Cal has gone out of his way to – if we can get him healthy, Cal has gone out of his way to say if you're a, a three-point shooter – we have a lot of three-point shooters on the team, but we want to make sure that we have three-point shooters that can play defense and can rebound and can do other things on the floor outside of just doing that. And C.J. is a guy that – he was known as a very high-level defender. I know that there's this – and I said this in the last week's – or the last show that we did, that there's this narrative because he's just this, you know, white shooter that, you know, kind of unathletic shooter that the dude can't play defense. Uh, the dude can play defense. He always guarded the uh, Iowa's best uh, – whoever Iowa's playing, he always guarded the best player on the other team. So that's not something that's, that's of concern. He was a very – statistically a high level defender uh so i think that he kind of indirect cal keeps indirectly referencing that thinking that cj might take one of those spots which leaves guys like jacob toppin which leaves guys like dante allen where do those minutes come from sean i think that's one of the questions that i have uh, as we approach the rex the rest of the exhibition slate and then going into the regular season yeah i mean you know with added competition you're going to have some, a lot of competition and fighting for minutes, and, and that's the sign of a good team is when some guys that were in your rotation last year are having to fight to get on the floor this year, that's a good sign. That means you've gotten better. I told you the other night that if Davion Mintz is coming off the bench, and I know a lot of people were talking, a lot of U.K. fans, people listening to the show, they were thinking, man, Davion should have been on that preseason All-SEC team that came out last week. Davion was Kentucky's best player last year he was their most consistent player but I've told you for a long time Jack that I didn't think that that was a good thing there was no way that John Calipari identified Davion Mintz and said that's going to be our best player on this Kentucky team he had different things he had hopes for Devin Askew thought BJ Boston would be their best player year ago it didn't work out Mintz was if Mintz is coming off the bench and he's like their sixth through their eighth man I think this team is really good because Oscar Shibway Savir Wheeler, these other guys that were voted preseason All-SEC, if they live up to that expectation, you know what you're getting from Mintz. That's where I think that you change it. You added some talent, a ton of it. If that talent plays itself out and Mintz is allowed to slide into that role that he was going to be in from the start, that's where I think that Kentucky got better, is when you look at that added depth that they've got from the transfer portal and that talent that it pushed some other guys into different roles, roles that they probably thought they were going to be in when they got to Kentucky. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. Davion Mintz, that is going to let everybody in on a little secret. When Davion Mintz was signed, he was brought in to be the placeholder 
recruit for Devin Askew. The guy, he was going to be the the transitional period player that would minimize some of Devin Askew's flaws as he adjusted to the collegiate level. And then by the end of the year, the goal was for Devin Askew to take the program over, lead them deep into the NCAA tournament, blah, 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 blah. Sunshine and rainbows. That was, in an ideal world, that's how it was supposed to go. But Davion Mintz was never supposed to be more than a high-level spark plug scoring threat off of the benches at sixth man, seventh man guy. He was never brought in to be, he was, he was brought in to be a complimentary piece. He was never brought in to be the superstar of this program. He happened yeah. to be the leading scorer of last year's team, because as Sean said, the other players that were in that starting lineup in the UK needed to score and, and, and put points on the board. They did not do that. They, they weren't able to. So, that's how the, and it's no knock on him, written. right? Right, no, and it's no knock on him. That's what I'm, and I'm not saying that Davion Mintz isn't a good basketball player, isn't good at Kentucky. I think he's great. I think he could be even better when he slides into that role. He doesn't have to take over and, and lead them in scoring this year. If he does, then then great. But I mean, I just think that Davion Mintz. We saw what Kentucky was like when Davion Mintz was their best player. It wasn't a good version. If that were to happen again you're going to get the same result. You needed Davion Mintz to be their sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth best player. And if they are, if he is, man, Kentucky's going to be good. Exactly. That is the that is something that I, I know that when Davion came back, it, it added to the narrative that you already you have that experienced guy back, the six-year veteran. You know, the, the storyline was written for itself. And it's a great story. I mean, it's it is a great headline-grabbing thing for Davion Mintz to come back in college basketball. The – nine-win Kentucky basketball team that couldn't win anything. They hit reset, and Davion Mintz, the leading scorer, decides to come back to lead them back to the promised land. Like, the story makes sense, and it's great. And I get the headlines, and I, I, I understand all of that. But when push comes to shove, Davion Mintz was always supposed to be a spark plug scoring threat off of the bench. That is where he is at his best, and I think that's where he's going to be at his best this year. And, and you need to – like, I, I feel like – Again, like I feel, Sean, you kind of hinted that I feel like it sounds like a de- like you were downplaying Davion's success. There's a reason, like he's as talent, like there's a reason he was able to have the success he he did last year. Uh, but like I, I feel like it sounds like we're kind of like tearing him down by saying that, and that's not what we're saying at all. It's more so just saying no. as a fit for the program, Davion is better suited as that scoring threat off the bench and and to fit yeah. alongside. The, the guys who UK brought in this year, I think Ty Ty is the perfect starting guy. Yeah. I think Xavier is a perfect starting guy. And, and it too, I mean, it, I think Davion's probably going to start a game or two as the season goes along. You know the wear and tear that takes place in the college basketball season, or you know, and two, that's a guy that Cal trusts. And whoever Cal trusts, that's who will be on the floor at the end of games. You could see the starting lineup be one thing, but when it comes down to that possession-to-possession game, Late in that final four minutes, that's when you're going to know who he trusts the most. It'll be on the floor. Does he go with four true guards with Oscar? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. That's the stuff that's going to get answered over the next two to three weeks, especially after Duke. If that's a close game, they'll get situational basketball. They'll get some of those things out of that. And then moving forward, uh, we're right now, Cal thinks he, he probably knows who he has in mind that he's going to start Friday night. I'm going to say by now he knows. 
Mm-hmm. That might change by the following Friday night when they play their next exhibition because once you get in between those lines and you start playing basketball, it's fight or flight. I mean, it's one of the two things that are going to happen there. You're either going to rise to the occasion or you're going to kind of go the other direction, and that's the beauty of this. He has options this year that he didn't have last year. He's got experience. I loved what we saw from Xavier Wheeler. You talked about that in the opening, and, you know, I've been on that train ever since he signed with Kentucky back in the spring that I just thought the little things that he does, and you're going to still see him turn the ball over. But, Jack, if he's getting 10 to 11 assists a game, and I know he's not going to play 40 minutes a night, but let's say that thing averages out to about eight assists a game. If those turnovers stay at three to four, I can live with those three to four if he's giving you eight assists. If he's giving you eight assists and six turnovers, I can't live with that. Right. Yeah, I think you you can't have his stat line from this past season where he – you know, had that eight, eight, nine assists per game, but had the four point, like he, everybody kind of hyped it. It might've been just seven, seven point four assists per game, whatever it was this past year that he led the, he led the SEC in assist to turnover ratio and he led the SEC in assists and like the, 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 the stats sounded great, but it was only like 1.7 assist to turnover ratio. It really wasn't all that great. Uh, when you consider how many turnovers he actually had, it was it was way too much. He, and I think that we saw the best version of K- Kentucky's offense in the blue white game when Savir Wheeler had the ball in his hands, where he got paint touches. The way he's able to break down a defender, something Kentucky did not have on its roster at all last year. There wasn't a single player on the roster last year that can do what Savir Wheeler does, where he's able to break a defender down, beat you off the dribble, get to that paint, and have an a, a, endless supply of possibilities what he wants to do there he can toss a lob up to Oscar Shibway if the defense collapses on him uh, you know he has an easy lob up up top he has CJ Frederick to his to his right he has Dante Allen to his left he has Kellen Grady in the corner he has Ty Ty Washington back on the wing however the the lineup works out he is going to have a high level shooter on the outside ready for a catch and shoot opportunity that is something Kentucky did not have last season and just having him as your lead guy, it's going to maximize it. Sean, you said that you thought that there was a very strong chance that he leads the team, uh, not only leads the team in assists, but that he was going to average at least 10 this year. I, I don't see how he does it. I think that's going to be an easy, easy number for him to hit. And it's going to open up so many opportunities for him scoring for himself at the rim. If they, you know, defenders want to guard the, the shooters out on the perimeter, or they, uh, you know, keep an eye on Oscar Sheway, it's going to create easy finishes for him. So he's going to be more efficient in his own right as well. He's got to clean some stuff up. But, but Sean, I think you, I think Savir Wheeler is the, the X factor of this team that, that you got to get your credit because you called that out from the minute that he signed. And I, I'm all the way aboard that hype train with you. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of him, just given the pieces Kentucky has. Now, would I have been a huge fan of Xavier Wheeler on last year's team? Nope, I would not have been, because they didn't shoot it well enough to make him successful. But this roster was built around and for Xavier Wheeler. That's what I've been saying for months now, and I think that that's what you're going to see play out. You're going to see him uh, buy into that role, leading the SEC in assist. I, I think there's no way – if he plays 27, 28-plus minutes a game, He's leading the league in assists because these these guys are going to shoot threes in transition. They're going to shoot threes in the half court. And uh, this this team, Jack, I do think that this will be the most lethal team in transition in college basketball this year. And it's not because of what they've done in the past. Those John Wall, De'Aaron Fox teams were good at getting to the rim. This team is going to get those paint touches and out and just bury threes in transition. 
Yeah, I think it's it's Savir Wheeler was the guy that I did not give enough credit when he signed, and I had my doubts, and I I I understood why there was so many people that that had major concerns about it because the the writing was on the wall. I mean, the the, the number spoke for itself. He the film the film looked solid, but there were so many questions about those turnovers and the sh- shooting concerns. And I think it, maybe at any other program, I think that those concerns would be valid. But I think with the, the, the roster Cal built, I think Xavier is, is perfect for this role. And I think that he's, he's built the perfect roster around him with the shooters and, and scoring threats. I, I think that uh, he is going to be the perfect man for the job. Sean, I know you have to get out of here relatively soon. You have something else? I was, well, I was just about to tell you, I almost think we're going to have to do another episode this week to answer some of these questions <laughs> that we've got. But I do want your opinion on one of these questions. Please go to Travis's question. <laughs> Would you rather fight a Sean-sized Jerry Tipton or a Jerry Tipton-sized Sean? <laughs> wow. Um, hmm. I think I would go a Sean-sized Jerry Tipton because at the end of the day, age is age. And I think I could, I think I could take Jerry Tipton. I love the guy. He's, he's a great guy. I've talked to him plenty behind the scenes. Uh, I, but I, I think I, I would take that because Sean, I, I, I wouldn't want to mess with you right now. You're, you're, uh, the way you're hitting the gym. I, I don't think that's something I could compete with right now. <laughs> I thought that was a funny question. Uh, <laughs> Travis, that made me laugh. I, I really needed that. That was good. Well, so here's, here's what I was thinking. You, I know you have to jump off. Would you want me to, finish the show answering a couple with with you off and then have another episode here in a couple days and you answer the rest of them because i feel like we got to have something on a dem bone and we got to have something on shade and charm we do so yeah we do if you want i can if you gotta if you gotta jump i can finish the show with touching on those two and then we could do another show in the next couple days or even tomorrow if you would like does that work sounds good to me sounds good to me all right well well before you jump off where can fans find your work sean they can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and they can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Well, it was great to have you, and uh, we will have you on again tomorrow or within the next couple of days, and we appreciate uh, you joining us. Sounds good. Can't wait to talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Sean is out. So, so now we can end our show by answering some of these questions specifically. Let, let me just go down the list. Uh, we had a, a couple different ones. I know Ian Wong asks about the likelihood of Shaden joining the team in two weeks. Um, Hunter Chiarella asks about if there a recruit that would replace Sharp in the class of 2022. Um, uh, Tyler Burns, what's the chance Shaden Sharp plays this season? And at a Dembona update, we'll get on a Dembona here in a minute. I just want to make sure I get the names of everybody that asks about Shaden Sharp to get in there. I think that's it. So, Shaden Sharp, uh, the number one player in the class of 2022, is planning on enrolling early uh, in the January semester. So, the spring semester, he will be on campus. That is the expectation as of right now. The decision isn't 100% finalized, but he's having conversations on the side, uh, you know, NIL opportunities, things like that, that would absolutely lead uh, one to believe that a uh, – that, that he he's fully invested in doing in, in enrolling early. So I don't think that is a concern. I think that we will get that. I think it's the, now the question is what's going to come next for us. 
Uh, are we going to see Shaden Sharp this second semester? Are we going to see him sit out the way Hamadou Diallo did and, and return uh, in 2022-2023 where he trains this, this next semester? He practices kind of like what Oscar Sheboy did as well, uh, practice that sex, second semester, work out, get acclimated to the, to the um, you know, the weights and all that stuff and then, and then ret- come back. Or is there some off-chance scenario that he sits out the second semester and then goes to the NBA draft and he's basically a none and done? So the options are, is he a half and done? Is he a one and a half and done? Or is he a none and done? And I think that's uh, definitely a concern for fans. And I, I, I understand. My read is, so I, I don't remember what I said completely in the last episode. It, it's, been, it's been a minute. But I talked to Shaden's main guy, the one of somebody very close to him, a source very close to Shaden Sharp, uh, who is, you know, involved in this recruitment and, and kind of placing him where he is and, and all that stuff. And this person is adamant that he is going to the NBA draft or that, that he is not, sorry, geez, that he is not going to the NBA draft, um, that he is going to come in. He's going to sit out in January on and work out with the team practice. He's adamant that he does not want to mess up team chemistry and do those sorts of things uh, and that he wants to come back and be a leader for the 2022-2023 class that that is his uh, that that that's his biggest priority at this point in time and I think that that's kind of the the dream scenario for Kentucky I I think they want him to come in and and be prepared for that next year and be the leader and he'll be physically prepared by going against the likes of of you know Kellen Grady and going against Ty Ty Washington and those types of players in practice that will make him better and get acclimated to the college game uh, and then basically be ready to, to take down the college basketball world in 2022, 2023. I think that is the dream scenario. And I think that's what Kentucky, uh, the co- Kentucky coaching staff is hoping for. And that's what fans should be hoping for. My concern is I have heard that he is a fifth year senior, that he is of age. He's going to be 19 by the time next year's draft rolls around. So when you put two and two together with that, it just – have you ever seen a top five draft prospect turn down the possibility of going to the draft to go back to college? And I, that's, the big, that's the one question I keep going back to. That's something that I want to have wishful thinking and I want to think that he's going to come back and everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. But I think, you know, we saw McCour Maker be, be – declared eligible we've seen you know other situations like that in the past where where they might not be seen as eligible on the surface level but then they find some loophole going down the stretch where where they are able to and, and that's my big concern I I don't want fans to get these high expectations that oh we're gonna have him for a year and a half and Shaden Sharp's gonna be the best player that's come through Kentucky basketball in a long time so on and so forth I, I just don't want them to have those high expectations and then come away burnt burnt at the end and I do want to put it out there that that there is a slight point no matter what their people are saying and what's being said publicly I, I do think that there is a chance that he finds his way into that 2022 draft I, I just do I it's it's a gut feeling it's also some things I've heard behind the scenes I, if you just put two and two together it just it's something that I think fans should keep on their radar hope for the best but prepare for the worst uh, and I also I still wouldn't be shocked if he plays the second semester. I know that uh, almost to the effect of a you either play him now or you don't get him at all scenario. And I know that that Shaden's people have great relationships with 
uh, with John Calipari and his staff, and I don't, they don't want to burn any bridges, uh, and that's why he's at Kentucky in the first place. But uh, I just do get that sense that there is still a chance that he plays in the second semester and Kentucky kind of pushes all its chips in on this season and says, screw it, we're going to go for a national title. And I think that with Shaden Sharp being added to this group, the, the team chemistry right now is an all-time high. There's no concern with that whatsoever. And I think that adding one more piece, look, they were, you know, they were wanting to add Jalen Duran, And I know that there was some talk about Kofi Coburn. That's something that we've said on this show, that, that there was some pushback on the roster about that. But, uh, again, as I said on the show before, that that was more so changing the dynamic of what this roster would be and what the off, you know, as we saw in the blue-white game, how the, the pace, the up-tempo, the dribble-drive, all that stuff, you wouldn't be able to get that with a true back-to-the-back basket, you know, 300-pound, seven-foot, 300-pound center like Kofi Coburn, that slow kind of plodding big like that. You wouldn't be able – the offense had to change around that. That's why there were concerns with, with Kofi. But with this, Shaden would just be another piece added to the puzzle. I don't know how uh, – him being added would change the the dynamic of the roster or the, or the system or the dribble dribble drive. He fits this roster perfectly. Now, will there be enough mouths to feed? It, it, you know, there's only one ball to to go around, and I think those questions may be valid. But I think that that's something if if everybody kind of bought in the way they did in that 2014 15 team, where it was like, look, not everybody's going to be able to eat the same as as everybody else, but we're all competing for one goal, and that's a national title. They made history by going 38 and one. They didn't came up just short of that goal, but you know the story and and Cal how he's used that uh, ever since then. I think it could be a very similar situation. So that's kind of my latest read. I don't think anything has changed on that. I think he's still very much set on on doing that, and I think it could. I believe Travis Graff of of uh, Cats Illustrated he put out that this could happen sooner rather than later within the next couple of weeks where he would, in conversations I've just had with, with him uh, talking to the side that this could happen like sooner, sooner within the next two or three weeks. Um, so that's, that's definitely something that we could keep a close eye on. He would not be able to enroll now. Um, he would have to enroll at the winter break and then come in in January. So that's the, he wouldn't be able to work out with the team until then. So I think he would be just kind of staying off campus and just getting a feel for uh, Lexington and those sorts of things. But, that's his read on it. I don't know that specifically. I still got to get back with my guy with Shaden who uh, told me all this stuff that I said to start the segment. Um, he told me that stuff to, to begin with. So I, I fans should be optimistic. Shaden is a fantastic player. I do think that we see him in a Kentucky uniform at some point. I just don't know the year. I just think there should be a cautious optimism about his, um, his addition at whenever that whenever that is about him uh, still potentially going to the 2022 draft. And let's move on to the next topic. Adem Bona. I'm going to go through and, and see who all asked about him. Uh, Bona UCLA lock. Micah Pearson asked that uh, Ryan Spalding. What do you think the pitch is for Cal when he meets with Bona? You think he says something special for a last uh, resort pitch? Um, Tyler Burns again asked a Dembona update. Um, Tanner Hall asks, is Bayfall a ban plan B option for Bona, not in the class of 2022? I'll just answer that now. Uh, Bona predictions, Al G's asks that. Uh, Mark Soup's burner in need of the latest on a Dembona. Jay Hammond, 67 Bona, question mark. Uh, and Mikey, 7811 Bona news. All right. A Dembona. 
I put out there yesterday that John Calipari, uh, I put out on Sunday afternoon that John Calipari is flying out, flew out to Napa uh, on Monday morning to go see Adembona for one final last hurrah visit uh, to see him in person, to talk things over with him, uh, to get one last pitch. Now, there's this narrative out there that this decision has been made and that it's uh, locked to UCLA and that all these uh, new recruiting picks are coming in, 247, you know, Crystal Ball and, and Futurecast, these new picks are coming in and everybody's like, oh, done deal to UCLA. I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. Um, I talked to my guy who is very close to Adembona and he's very close to the situation, um, somebody that I trust very completely. And he told me from the start that this has always been the last week or two, maybe even three weeks. It has been a battle between UCLA and Kentucky for Adembona services. We've talked about the Derek Lively dynamic and kind of how his, uh, you know, how that part played into his interest in UCLA and him being prioritized by the Bruins over Kentucky. We, we know that story in depth. We don't need to dive into that further, but the latest on Adembona is that Kentucky feels like it still has a shot. Is that optimism based on, we know how much he's like Kentucky in the past. We think we're going to be able to shift the tide back our direction. Those kind of questions. I don't know but talking to people on Kentucky side, they still think there's a chance talking to people on the Dembona side. They think that Kentucky may be the best option for him personally, but they also added the kind of caveat that a Dembona is a very strong headed guy that he's going to make his own decision. And it doesn't matter what some of the other people in his camp might be feeling. He wants to make what's best for him. And he was the one that was feeling a little put out about the Derek Lively thing and the prioritization and all that stuff. So it really may not help at the end of the day, regardless. Um, I will say that um, the UCLA visit was this past weekend. It was an official. Uh, he was very inter interested in seeing practice. That was one thing that, that he really cared about on the Kentucky visit. He wanted to see um, – you know, how the system that Cal was pitching this four out, you know, maximizing uh, versatility and shooting and, and spacing the floor and having, you know, where, where he wouldn't just be a guy that'd be rebounding and setting screens and dunking, that it would be a system that would involve him and allow him to get some touches and, and kind of show off his skill set. Uh, that's something that he wanted to see in Lexington when he came to his for his official visit. He saw it. He was overly, overly optimistic about how his visit to Kentucky went. And I will say I didn't hear those same things about his visit to UCLA. And I think that's something that was kind of telling that – uh, that he went in wanting to go to a, a practice and kind of see the, what Mick Cronin was pitching to him, uh, how he would be used in their offense, and uh, kind of a very similar situation in Kentucky. How Which system is going to fit me better? I want to see it with my own two eyes, which system would fit me best. And UCLA visit was was okay, was was very solid, uh, kind of the same thing as Kansas. It was a very, very solid visit, but it wasn't as – he didn't learn anything on his UCLA visit that he didn't already know going into it. And uh, nothing impressed him more about the UCLA visit than the Kentucky visit. I will put that out there. So, uh, the, you know, you hear of all these visits that it always oh, the greatest visit in, in the history of all visits. And there's, you know, he was, he came this close to committing while he was on the visit. That's how much he, he was in love with campus and the coaching staff and practice and all that stuff. Uh, you did not get those conversations after the fact. So that made me feel slightly better about, uh, about Kentucky's chances with him. But I still, I keep going back to the conversations I had with you with on the show uh, the last month or so, where I, I do think that 
I, I, I question if that bridge was burned and that all of this after the, after the fact was Kentucky playing catch up and not being able to, to make up enough ground at the end of the day. I think that is a question that, that comes up uh, regularly for me that it's, it's I, I want to feel optimistic and there are, are signs that, like I said, that Kentucky feels good, uh, that there are some people in his camp that it might be pushing Kentucky and uh, that this UCLA visit wasn't all, all that he kind of hoped it would be, or that, that maybe UCLA fans would like it to be. Um, but I, I just, I, I'm hesitant and I, I am not willing to go beyond, if anything, I, I still think it's like 55, 45 UCLA, Kentucky, where it's just a, a, a very slight hint. And I will say that Kentucky reached out to Adem Bona in his camp before, uh, before Cal decided to fly out because there've been some, some, visit nightmares in the past where Cal uh, just kind of packed up his bags and said, screw it. I'm going wherever this recruit is. And I'm going to, uh, I'm not leaving until he commits to me and, you know, those things. And, and, you know, there was one story that I believe it was Steven Zimmerman way back in the day, uh, like the 2013 class, 2014 class, whatever it was that, uh, that Cal got on the flight and, and was flying to go see him. And, and they told Cal to not come because he wasn't going to go to Kentucky. I think that, uh, they wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to happen with a dem on this one. They called, called them and said, Hey, you know, are we let, let us know. Are we still right in the thick of things? Is this still on? They said, absolutely. We, we want these conversations to, to still uh, keep moving forward. We, you know, please, please come, come visit. And Cal said, all right, I'll be there in the morning. So Cal got on his flight and he is, uh, he made it to Napa early this morning. And um, it was my understanding that the visit, by Cal was going to happen. And then at some point today, he was going to Adem Bona and his people were going to sit down and have a uh, kind of a formal decision-making process on narrowing down a, a timeline for a timeline for a decision. Um, I have heard Friday, this upcoming Friday is a potential date, nothing set in stone yet, but that is a potential date that can t- that uh, Adem's camp is, is thinking about and Adem is thinking about. Again, that's not set in stone, but that's something that they, they, they're thinking could be a possibility, but um, nothing is finalized as of yet, but they uh, would like to have a decision done within the next week or two. So uh, I think that if I were a betting man, I think that we hear news at least – at least to the point where everybody knows where he's going in advance of this, of a commitment date. I think that he, we see an official public commitment by the end of the week. Um, You know, my, I was told that Friday date. So that's kind of where I'm, where my head is, is leaning right now. But uh, I I do think that we'll start getting, I think today's visit by Cal uh, and a Dem meeting with his people and kind of having a sit down kind of, all right, let's put our heads together and let's really get to the bottom of, of this decision where we need to go and when we're going to decide and those things. I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of clarity throughout the week. And I think that it wouldn't be shocked if we got a leak within the next couple of days of where Adem's going. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I, I, I still very, very slightly lean UCLA just because of the, the, you know, kind of burn bridges aspect of it but i i don't want everybody to assume that this is a done deal he's going to ucla kentucky needs to start focusing on its next targets uh, i do think kentucky's still in it kentucky thinks it's still in it uh 
a Dems people's t- are they're still telling me that Kentucky is still very much in it and some are even actively pushing for Kentucky uh, and again I don't think the UCLA visit was all it was kind of cracked up to be so when you put all those things together something to be op- you know at least slightly more optimistic about it's not a done deal by any stretch of the imagination Cal wouldn't have flown out to uh, Napa California to go see him in person if he didn't think he had a shot um, so hang in there we'll see where things go uh and we'll uh we'll wrap this show up i know we have a ton more questions coming in and we'll have to turn a bunch of these uh, you know i just got more coming in about predictions for the 2023 class and and you know just a a bunch of people talking about uh, you know a bunch of different questions so i I definitely want to uh, get to all those when time permits for that so let's wrap this episode up we'll be back on i'm sure uh as more news breaks for um you know this this adembona recruitment and and should something happen with shade and sharp here in the next couple days we'll definitely be back on here but definitely to answer some of those questions and then we'll be back again for the kentucky wesleyan game we really want to have uh pre-game and post-game shows kind of a consistent schedule last year just got so freaking hectic and to be totally honest, miserable to put out a show every single episode, a, a show every single game because they were always losing and we would just kind of talk ourselves into why they were losing and it was just depressing and sad and, and nobody wants to listen to that. So uh, fingers crossed, this is going to be a good year. We're all anticipating that and uh, we like to have a preseason and post game show for a pregame and post game show for every single game this year and then on top of all the recruiting news that comes out. So plenty of good stuff coming for the Sources Say podcast. I thank each and every one of you guys for listening. Uh, we have some, some sponsors coming in the next couple of weeks, so things to be excited about, news coming, signing days coming next month. So uh, we're, just, we're just so thrilled about basketball season being back and you guys joining us for it. So we will wrap it up right there. Uh, I am Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. You can find me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back here in the next couple days, honestly, for another jam-packed Source to Say podcast. We will see you then.